when we look in the Rambam, the beginning of Hilchas Ishus, the Rambam lists as two distinct mitzvahs, one mitzvah to get married, and another independent mitzvah to raise a family, Periyavarivya. Um, the Rambam usually assumes as a principle that we only count two distinct mitzvahs if they're really different. If one mitzvah leads up to the other, if the sole purpose of marriage is to lead up to having children, so then the Rambam should have only counted as one mitzvah. So it would appear that the Rambam perhaps thinks that the mitzvah to marry is independent of having children. That's uh, a question to be discussed on some other occasion. The Mishnah in Yavamis presents a dispute that the Tanaim had regarding the mitzvah of Pirivarivya, whether it's only required of men or even applies to women, because the original Pasuk, HaKadosh Baruch speaks to Adam and Chav, and he says, Puru in the plural. The accepted opinion is that the mitzvah only applies to the men. The women are exempt from the mitzvah of Pirivarivya. Does this mean if a girl wants to, she doesn't have to get married, or if a woman wants to marry a man whom she knows in advance is unable to have children, so that doesn't pose any problem at all. The women don't have any mitzvah to have any children. So the Tesis in the first page in Ebenezer, they quote, the Bishmol quotes the Tesis in two different Mesichtas, presents two different views regarding the mitzvah of Shebes. The Pasuk in Yeshaya describes the purpose of the creation of the world was Loto Baro, God didn't create the world that it should be uh, empty. Well, Shebes, he created the world that it should be populated with, uh, with people. So the Tesis has two opinions as to whether women, although they're exempted potter from the mitzvah of that appears in the Chumash, but maybe they're obligated to observe this mitzvah in the the Pasuk in Yeshaya, Allah If you want you to assume that women are obligated to have children anyway, so what do you gain by saying that women are potter from Pirivarivya? If the Chayz anyway, Mitam, Allah So Rapslam Kluger explains on the first page in Ebenezer, maybe there's a big difference between the two. The Mishnah in Yivomis and the end of Perakabal Yevimtoi has different opinions in the Mishnah, Beishama and Bisilil, then the Gemara, more versions of what Beishama and Bisilil were disputing. How many children do you have to have in order to fulfill the mitzvah of Piravarivi? So the accepted opinion is like Bisil, you have to have a son and, uh, and a daughter. So Epshlamic Luga suggests on the first page in Ebenezer, maybe that's only for the purpose of fulfilling the mitzvah of Piruvarivya. Maybe regarding the mitzvah of Shevas, the mitzvah of Medivir Kabbalah, that doesn't appear in Chumash, that only appears in the Nabi Yishai, maybe for that purpose, maybe it's sufficient to have one child. So true, if you assume that women are not exempt from the mitzvah of Shevas, they can't marry a, a man whom they know in advance is unable to, to have children, but let's say they had a child from a previous marriage, and now they want to remarry. They want to remarry a person who is not interested, who is not able to have any children. So uh, we would say that that would be okay, even if women are are uh, are shevis. But shevis, for the purpose of shevis, would be sufficient to have one child. They don't have to have uh, a son and a daughter. This idea that uh, yeah, one has to have a son and a daughter means a son and a daughter whom the, who themselves are able to give birth to children later on. Let's say the, the children, the Gemara has a machlekes, someone gave birth to a son and a daughter and they died. And they died before they had a chance to give birth to children on their own. So the accepted opinion, the conclusion of the, mask, the maskana of the Gemara is that one is not a fulfillment of the mitzvah of Pirabirabiyah. So let's say uh, one has a son and a daughter. He knows in advance that physically or mentally, whatever, they're unable to, to marry and have children on their own. So one is not in fulfillment of the mitzvah. The Sukim and Chumish and the Gemara says explicitly 
It's the Mechumish indicate that this mitzvah period if he applies to all the people in the world, all those who are descendants of uh, other Marishan. Uh, after Matan Torah, the din changed, and the mitzvah peribrivia from the time of Matan Torah on only applies to the Jewish people, no, lo- no longer applies to the non Jews. So here is a big discussion in the commentaries on Shulchan Aruch and Ebenezer. In the very beginning, in Simon Aleph, where the mitzvah peribrivia is discussed, uh, does this mean that the nature of the mitzvah changed? That before Matan Torah, the nature of the mitzvah peribrivia simply meant we should populate the world? Every every person, every man, every male, Jewish, non-Jewish, everyone was obligated to see to it that he has a son and a daughter. And after Matan Torah, the whole nature of the mitzvah changed. The, the Rabbi Shalom decided the world is sufficiently populated. And from now on, the nature of the mitzvah period is different. We should see to it that we should have the ability to transmit the values of Judaism to the next generation. So that's why it's, it's a mitzvah masara. We have to have a son and a daughter who will be able, to whom we will be able to transmit, uh, transmit values of, of Torah. And uh, they will be able to transmit to the next generation. Or should we assume, no, that the nature of the mitzvah didn't change. Until Matan Torah, the mitzvah was to populate the world and everyone was obligated to participate. And after Matan Torah, only the Jews have this obligation. But the nature of the mitzvah still is just to populate the world. It has nothing to do with um, transmitting Yiddishkeit to the next generation. So this, uh, the classic commentary on the side of the Shulchan Aruch, the Beishmuel, quotes that there are two ways to read a Rambam. The Rambam quotes uh, Gemara in the end of Perak Avoyavimta, where the Gemara is discussing all the details of Perigarivya. So the Gemara has there a dispute between Abyechan and Reish Lokish, uh, if a non-Jew was married and had children and then later on he converts. So the uh, Rish Lokish is of the opinion that Gershon is got Kukotin Shanel Adami so he's no longer related the Ger who converted is no longer related to his children. Whether the children will convert also or not doesn't, doesn't make a difference. Min HaTorah he's not related to the children. So Rish Lokish is of the opinion that the Gershon is Gaier is not yet hasn't fulfilled the mitzvah of He has to raise a family after he converts. He has to marry now. He has to raise a family now. And the accepted opinion is like Rabbi Eichanan, that the Gershon is Gaier is in fulfillment of Yuso. He had children before he converted. In his guy. So he passed on that he had to with the children that he had before he converted. So the Rambam, when he quotes this, it's a strange din. Why should Rabbi Yechonah disagree with Rish Lakish? If, if I would have been entitled to an opinion, I would have said like Rish Lakish. Gershon is got and is not related to the children. How is the fulfillment of, of the mitzvah period if they're not related to him? So, so that's one discussion. Why, why don't we accept Rish Lakish's opinion? But we don't. So now when the Ramam quotes the position of Rabbi Yechonah, the accepted view, the Ramam writes, so a non-Jew had children before he converted, and he and the children converted. The children also converted. So the commentaries on the Ramam are not sure exactly what that line means. The Gemara doesn't say the children converted. So the Magen Mishnah, the standard the commentary on the side of the Ramam, the Magen Mishnah writes, of course the children have to convert. What do you mean? You've got to be in fulfillment of the mitzvah of by having non-Jewish children? That was Kaidamat and Tur. everyone was obligated to fulfill the mitzvah of Peru Jews and non Jews. And the whole nature of the mitzvah was simply was to populate the world. But after Matan Torah, that the nature of the mitzvah the mitzvah changed, that from now on the mitzvah is only applicable to the Jewish people. So the Magamishna understands the whole nature of the mitzvah changed. Now it's no longer a mitzvah to populate the world. No. Now it's a mitzvah to transmit 
Jewish values to the next generation to, to see to it that your mom shifts the Masora. So of course he can't fulfill a mitzvah pivotive with non-Jewish children. They're not going to be transmitting Yiddish guy to the next generation. That's what the Magimishnah writes. It's a svara pshuta, common sense dictates that the Ramam is certainly right, that one is only a fulfillment of Pirivrivya if the children turn out later on to be Jewish. The Vilna Goin, in his commentary on the Shulchan Aruch, learns like the Marami Prague, the Bishmo quotes the others who disagree. No, the Ramam meant to say, even if the children convert. Gershin is guy Kukot and Shinola Dami means that if the father converts, like he's stepping away from the children. That not only if the father converted and he stepped away, even if the children converted and they stepped away. So the father stepped to the right and the children stepped to the left. They're so far away from each other, too. It's twice over. And you're still in fulfillment of the mitzvah of Peri But if only the father converted and the children did not convert to become Jewish, that's a kalvachayma that you are to the mitzvah of Peri So this is the question, what exactly did the Ramah mean when he added that line, Vidinskairhu Banavimo? Is that a condition that you're only a fulfillment of Pirivirivya after Matan Torah if the children are Jewish? Because the nature of the mitzvah changed after Matan Torah. The whole essence of the mitzvah is no longer to populate the world, but rather to transmit the Jewish values to the next generation. Or do we say no? That the nature of the mitzvah is the same to populate the world with non-Jewish children. One is also a fulfillment of the mitzvah Pirivirivya, but uh, after Matan Torah, the mitzvah only applies to the Jewish people. It's a question, how do we read the Gemara in Brochus in the first parak? The Gemara tells the whole story that Chizki Yohamelech didn't want to marry and Yishaya and he took sick. So the Gemara tells the story, Yishaya Novi came to be Mevakachelech. Instead of cheering him up and telling him, uh, you're going to get better, he tells him, you're going to drop dead because you didn't fulfill the mitzvah of Pirivirivyan. So Chizki Yohamelech responds back, but I saw the Ruch HaKadosh that if I'll have or if I'll marry and I'll have children, the children will not be, the children will be of the Abedizara. So that's not a fulfillment of Pirivirivya. To have children who are going to worship Abedizar, there's no mitzvah. So Yishayim Navi told them, you have an obligation to marry and have children, and whatever turns out, that's none of your business. So the Mepharshim, the commentaries on the Gemara, give different interpretations. What did Yishayim respond? Is the argument of Chizkiah Amelech really correct? That you takanat in fulfillment of Pirivirivya if the children will be of the Abedizar, the nature of the mitzvah is to transmit Jewish values to the next generation. But he told me you're not supposed to pass them based on Ruach HaKodesh, or he told them that your Ruach HaKodesh is kakai, it's not so, your children will do tshuva in the end, some other reason. Or was the response of Yishai and Novi, no, your whole premise is incorrect. The nature of the mitzvah, Pirib has nothing to do with transmitting Jewish values to the next generation. So the Mepharshim Anad Gemar in the first Perakim Brochus have this dispute, the same dispute that they have in, regarding the line in the Ramam, in his guy who Banavima, where the children converted also. What does the Ramam mean? So this is a big dispute. Many are of the assumption that uh, the mitzvah Pirivrivi is not fulfilled by just uh, giving birth to children and let them run around Hefker. The essence of the mitzvah really is to transmit Jewish values to the next generation. And that's why the Gemara says in, uh, in Sanhedrin and the second parak that Hamalameh ben Chadera Torah, if one, let's say, a uh, couple is unable to have children, so they adopt the child, that they support uh, yeshivas. So one who supports yeshivas and sees to it that uh, the Torah is transmitted to the next generation, they have a partial fulfillment of the mitzvah of Pirivirivya because they are seeing to it that the Torah is being transmitted, transmitted to, the, to the next generation. The mitzvah of Bishlein Musa of Pirivirivya is that one should have his own children 
as he's physically able to, and transmit the Torah values to his children. And if uh, that's impossible, so then second best is that he should uh, adopt and transmit Torah values to the adopted children or to support uh, those who are learning in Yeshivas. That's how the Chafetz Chaim writes, the Pashat Pshat and the Pashat in Yeshaya that we recite for the Haftar on the Tanis Tzibur. So we say, So this is what HaKadosh Baruch tells the Sarisim, those who are unable to have their own children, what should they do? Three things. And the third is, They should support Yeshivas. Chavetz Chaim says that those single people who didn't get married yet, or those who uh, can't have children, whatever, should support Yeshivas and thereby have a partial fulfillment of the mitzvah by transmitting Torah values to the next generation. <coughs> On the first page in Shulchan Aruch HaMenezer, uh, the Beishmur, the standard commentary, raises a question. We know that Ben when a boy reaches the age of 13, he's obligated to put on tefillin and to keep all the mitzvahs. Until then, he only does mitam chinach, and after the age of 13, he's obligated for real menatera to observe all the mitzvahs. So why don't we require of every 13-year-old child that he should get married? On the day of his bar mitzvah, we should make a chasana, save money. Have a, now that bar mitzvahs are like chasanas. To save money, uh, kill two birds with one stone. Have, have a chasana and have him get married. So the Bishmul answers, obviously, he's too young. He says, Rechaim B'tzaravar V'yatik B'tzaravar The Gemara has such an expression. What do you mean? He has to first develop a little bit. He can't, he's not ready to be a father. He's not ready to be a husband. He's not ready to raise children. He has to learn a little Torah. The getting married and having the children has to fit in with the rest of his life. Uh, that's why, uh, even though the Mishnah says in Pirkei Avot that one's supposed to get married at the age of 18, and the Gemara says in Kiddushin that if one is already over 20, and he's not married yet, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will be angry at him. So we are uh, not so uh, medactic about this age of 18, and uh, by the Misnagdim not so medactic, they get married very young. But uh, the Misnagdim are not so medactic about that. So the Rajash points out in, uh, in his commentary on the Gemara Ksubis, the Gemara says you've got to learn a couple of years. The Gemara, after you start, after you get into learning. So it takes us a long time until we get into learning. So... Uh, takes three years or five years until you start learning takes a while. So uh, we are lax a little bit. We, we are a little more lenient about this. We assume that uh, the mitzvah doesn't, doesn't really begin at the age of 18 or 20. We have a little more time. We're not ready to get married yet until a little older. Part of uh, marriage are the reciprocal obligations that the Torah and the Chachamim impose on the husband and the wife towards each other. And the Rosh points out in his commentary on the Rambam, he shows from the Gemara that Al-Fidin, these are reciprocal. The Gemara has Tik Nezer Tachazer, Nezer Tachnazer. And he shows an Afkamina Lahalacha based on the fact that there is reciprocity. So the Chumash records the three obligations of Sher Exusavi Anasa Lo Yigra. The husband has an obligation. The simple translation of the word Sher Exusavi Anasa, the husband has an obligation. To, get, to, get, to spend money on food and clothing for his wife. Uh, many Tanoin and many Rishonim are of the opinion that that's not what the Pesach means, that the obligation to support one's wife is only with the Rabbonin, but it doesn't make that much of a difference. There are some slight differences in Shulchan Archa Menezer, whether the obligation of the, on the part of the husband to support his wife to buy food and clothing and pay for a, an apartment, 
whether this is the Minatorim or the Rabbanon, but it's a very slight differences. This is an obligation that the husband has. We live in a generation that um, a lot of boys are going to law school, medical school, whatever. They're going to graduate school and the wife is supporting the family the first couple of years. So look, if the wife is moichel, if that's the minikam dinah that the wife is moichel on the shibut, so gesundte hey. But uh, the husband can't have the taina that uh, the wife is mukhif to support him. It says in the Mishnah and it says in the Ksuba, it says in the Ksuba, no, I will take a job and I will earn money and I will support my wife. So as long as the wife is uh, in agreement to be mevatir on the husband's obligation to support her, he's going to graduate school, he has to prepare himself, he's learning in the Kerala for a couple of years. 40, 50 years or so. You know, a reasonable number of years till he prepare himself for his career. Okay. So if the wife is Mavate, that's, uh, that's wonderful. But the minute the wife is no longer Mavate, the minute the wife is no longer Meichel on, on the Shibut, so then, uh, then the obligation is the husband is obligated to support his wife. There was one opinion in the days of the Baliatesis that the husband is not obligated to get a job to support his wife. If he's making money, if he has money, then he can't hoard all the money for himself. He has to give some of the money over to his wife. But if he wants to sit and learn base manage all day, he's not obligated to get a job. So that opinion is not accepted. <coughs> and the Baliatesis say, that's what it says in the Ksuba, I will go get a job and I will support my wife. To what extent is the husband obligated to support his wife? So the Talmud points out, Let's say he came from a wealthy family and his parents always went away, or whatever, uh, they always went to, to Arizona for Pesach and they went to Alaska for, for Purim, whatever they had. Uh, and, and his mother always had uh, help all week long and whenever his mother had a baby, so they always had help in for a month or something. And, and the girl comes from a family where they never did this either. They can never afford it or they could afford it, but they were cheap. They just never did. Or the reverse, let's say in his family, they never had the money to spend. They could never afford all of this, or they could afford it, but they just never did. And in her family, they always used to spend a lot of money to make life easier for the wife. So the halacha says, The husband is obligated to buy clothing for his wife on the higher of the two standards, whichever standard is higher. That's his obligation, if he can afford it. If he can't afford it, then, uh, then not. But if he is able to afford it and just wants to be cheap about it, he doesn't want to spend the money, so then Allah states that he is obligated to. The Maskilim used to make fun of the rabbis that uh, the institution of Kiddush Kesef, that one could get married by giving money to a girl and saying, Hari Amukudashisli, is derived from Abraham Avina purchasing the Moras HaMachpel of Mephren HaChiti in the beginning of Parshat Chai Zorah. So it sounds like just like a farmer buys a horse or somebody buys a piece of real estate so the husband buys himself a wife and he, he's the balabas, he owns the wife and he can do whatever he wants to. So the masculine used to make fun of the rabbis why the institution of Kiddush Kes is this form of marriage is derived from, from, from purchasing the field in Moras HaMachpel. So Rabbi Hirsch has an essay about this where he points out that uh, those who are familiar with the Taz and Chashem Mishpot uh, in Simakuf Tzadik, there's a famous dispute between the Taz and the Sma, and all the yeshivas, everybody knows this. What's the nature of Kenya Kesef? When you buy real estate uh, and you give a dollar, what do you mean? But the real estate is worth a million dollars. How are you kind of, karkas, nikness, the fruit of the shabbat fruit? Are you kind of this piece of real estate 
with a, with a nickel, a pruta, but it's worth a million dollars. So this um, is of the opinion that you have to pay the full value of the real estate. I, the Gemara says, you kind of do pruta. That's only if there's a the mills of the rest of the money. I pay a pruta, I pay, let's say, a nickel to buy the real estate. And the other fellow says, you still owe me a million dollars minus a nickel. And, and this, it should be considered as if the Demeha Mekech is all paid up and the rest of the money is owned is owed as a Chov Stam that's called Kifas Nova the Demeha Mekech is considered as if it's all paid up and he owes a Chov Stam but, uh, but the Smaz of the opinion that this is not simply a formality and the Tas says what do you mean? Kinyan Kesef means that I pay the value of the Karka so how you Mekadosh and Nisha the Kesef what you're paying you give a ring to the girl the ring costs $500 a marriage pin so the girl is worth $500. The girl is either priceless or worthless. She's not worth $500. So it cannot be. If you're learning out Kiddushe Kesef is from buying the Morosam HaPelo, it cannot be that, that Kenyan Kesef by Karka is you're paying the Mehameka. So the task proves from the fact that the rabbis made a connection between the two. There's a Zereshova. Kicha Kicha Ephron. This sheds light not. It shows that buying a wife is like buying a horse. It's like buying real estate. No, buying real estate is like getting married. That's the double pashas. Then when you get married, you're not buying the wife. She doesn't belong to you. You're not paying the demeya mecca. That's the double pashas. It's just a formality. This indicates what the nature of Kenya karka is. When you buy karka, the nickel that you pay is just a symbolic, is just a token act of the Kenyan. It's not that the nickel is paid for the Mehameka. No, the Mehameka didn't begin to pay a penny yet. You owe the full million dollars. Not that the nickel is the payment of the Mehameka and the rest of the Zokofal of the Milvin. So Rabbi Hirsch has this comment. He says, the Maskilim are making fun of the rabbis. They didn't understand what the rabbis were driving at. And why did the rabbis want to learn out uh, the Kiddusha Kesa from Avram Avinu? No, they wanted to emphasize that look, Avram Avinu loved his wife so much that even after she died, he went and he spent such a fortune and money to buy the most Bukhavadika spot to bury her. The Gemara has a debate, the Gemara has a discussion in whether this rule, that the husband has to spend whichever has to spend money on his wife's clothing and vacations and uh, help in the house and so on, the higher of the two standards, which, whichever family, either his family or his wife's family, the parents, whichever family have the higher standards of, of spending money, that's why he has to treat his wife. So the Gemara has a discussion. Does this only apply as long as they're married? What about after the wife dies? So in his family, they spend $5 million on a matzeva, a golden matzeva, as the Yiddish expression goes. In her family, they pay, they pay uh, $300 for a plain stone. So, does the deed of Oilim of any even apply after the, after the wife dies? He's mukhid to spend so much money on the kvura or not. But whatever the din is, but the Chumash says that that's what Avram Avinu did. So Rabbi Hirsch has this famous comment. He says the rabbis wanted the Dabkit to learn out the institution of Kiddushin Kesef from Avram Avinu's purchase of the Moras Hamapela, that we should all respect our wives so much, like Avram Avinu did. He spent the fortune of money. Loimed boy while she was alive. Even after she passed away, he still spent. He loved her so much. He spent so much money to buy a Bukovic uh, burial spot for her. So the, the basic shibud is that the husband has an obligation to support the wife. And even after she dies, he has an obligation to have a Bukovic spot. Yamari in Bavim quotes the instructions that Robert gave his students. He told the students... I don't want you to show up in the base medrash, not during the month of Tishri, not during the month of Nisan. That was the busy season when they had to make money. 
you're going to ruin your Parnassa. You have to take care of Parnassa's Parnassa. And the rest of the year, whoever has time to learn is invited to come. He had, a, obviously, a married students. And he didn't have a curl where they supported them, so they had to make their own money. So he said, make sure you make your Parnassa. Then Rabbi gave additional instructions to his students. He, he warned them all, Akira Nishaihu, you should spend money on your, on your wives. You should show cover to your wife. Cover doesn't only mean to hold the door for her, or to hold the chair, or to put on her coat. Covet means to spend money. Akira Nishaihu Kehechadititisasru. It's his gula for Ashiris if you spend money on your wife within reason. Not that he's going to buy every Arab shop, he's going to buy your jewelry and he can't afford it. He's going to go, uh, go into hack in order to be Mechabit his wife. But within reason, the Gemara says that this is considered as gula for Ashiris. Unfortunately, this is considered one of the two major factors involved in divorce is the status of money. How much money the husband lets his wife spend, how much money the husband spends on his wife. How cheap is the husband? So the Gemara says that if he can afford it, the husband is uh, to spend a lot of money on his wife. Oil imo, the any The obligation of ono sherexus means to support the wife, food, clothing, and uh, shelter. Uh, the obligation of ono means to have marital relations with the wife, but the word ono also means time, to spend time with one's wife. Um, the Gemara says that even when it's Ishtonida, when the wife is not able to be with the husband uh, because of Taras HaMeshpacha, still the husband must spend some time with his wife. The Gemara says that it's improper to barge in on the uh, privacy of a couple, even when you know that the wife is a Nida. In the days of the Tanoim, everybody knew when a, when a woman was a Nida, because whatever the woman would touch would become Tommy. All the dresses they would wear would be Tommy. So they had to have a different set of dresses for the Yemei Tahara, a different set of dresses for Yemei Tuma. The women would sleep in a different bed, in a different bedroom. Everything was different. All the people in the neighborhood knew. It wasn't, it wasn't able to keep it. It wasn't possible to keep it a secret. The woman had to be careful not to touch anybody. She would touch the children. Children would become tummy. Touch pots and pans and food. Everything would become tummy. It's after the days of Tuma Vitara no longer relevant. We no longer observe anything that has to do with Tuma Vitara. So now the whole union of going to Mikvah is only uh, with respect to Hetel Levaila. So Shulchan Archa says that since it's a very personal issue, Bizman that the issues of Tuma Vitara no longer relevant. So the meaning is that the women are Matsniya Lelfilosim. They don't advertise to anybody uh, when they're going to Mikvah. But in the days of the Gemara, everybody would know. So the Gemara says in Erevin that it's improper to barge in on the privacy of a married couple, even if you know that the woman is a Nida. How do you know? Everybody knew in the days of the Tanam. Everybody knew when the woman was a Nida. It couldn't have been kept a secret. The Gemara says they need their privacy even when the woman is a Nida. We learned just two weeks ago, the Mishnah in Perkei says, um, you, shouldn't, you shouldn't spend too much time chatting away with your wife. Sichem means Sichem Betelam. So the Bartanura has one of the two interpretations of the mission. It means when it's Ishto Nido. When the wife is in Nido, you shouldn't spend too much time chatting. But it doesn't mean you make a total boycott. Uh, one doesn't talk to his wife at all. He's obligated to spend time with his wife. But it shouldn't be a Rebbe Sicha. It should be uh, uh, minimized. The Gemara tells... In Brochus, the Gemara tells a story when they fired the chief rabbi, Rabbi Gamliel, and they appointed Rabbi Lozim and Azariah, who was a very young man, to the position. We wanted to appoint Rabbi Lozim. They offered the position to Rabbi Lozim and Azariah. So he says, he has to consult his wife. What does he have to consult his wife? She was the brains of the operation. She understood politics better than him. So the commentaries on Ebenezer, the Pisgah Tshuva, 
points out in Ebenezer, no, it's not that she was the brain of the outfit, because he didn't accept her advice. She told him, don't take the job, they'll fire you too. Just like they fired the previous chief rabbi, who had so many years of experience, so they'll fire you. So he disagreed with her, and then she gave in with him. Eh, it's, still, it's still good to be king for a day. It's still okay, so even if they'll fire me. So the end of the story was, he didn't listen to his wife's uh, political advice. So what did he ask his wife in the first place? So the commentaries explain, the chief rabbi doesn't have that much time to spend with his wife. He has to run all over the world to represent uh, Medina Sisra. He has to run to Alaska and to the Philippines and to South America. He's always running all over the place. He has to attend every public function. So the dinner is that a husband is not permitted to switch his job. If, even if you're going to make much more money with the new job, if the new job means he's going to have less time to spend uh, with his wife, he has to get permission from the wife to switch the job. So Blazman Azariah was a plain Tana. He was a plain rabbi. We offered him the position to be the chief rabbi, so he says he has to consult his wife to get her approval, to get her permission, because the new job would, uh, would mean that he's going to have less time to spend with the old wife. Well, with, uh, with his wife. <coughs> The same is true regarding, uh, let's say, a husband. As the marriage uh, progresses, so the husband decides he wants to be machmanis and machmanat, he becomes more observant, he's learning more, he's becoming more medactic. He's becoming more medactic the, at the expense of his wife. Instead of coming home, uh, instead of davening chakras uh, for an hour, he davening chakras an hour and a half. Then he never eats breakfast with his wife. And then he's going to dab mincha marvin shul. He's never going to eat uh, supper with his wife. He's always fasting tanes. Every month he can dunish. He's always fasting. He never comes home. He never spends any time with his wife. So one is not permitted. The husband is not permitted to adopt any midas chasidis. Or the wife is not permitted to adopt the midas chasidis. It doesn't matter who decided to from out. One of the... One of the spouses decides they want to become very far from. And they want to adopt the new... New chumris... And it's going to affect uh, their spouse. They won't have that much time to spend uh, with their spouse. So this is only permissible to adopt such a mitzvah chasidus if they have the approval of their spouse. We have a mitzvah in the Torah. We just read two weeks ago, Parsha Semor. The Kohanim are not permitted to be mitame lemesim unless it's one of the seven relatives. And the Chumash says if the Kohen's sister passed away, the sister was single, she was never married, lo yitamo. So the Gemara has a dispute. There was a dispute in many different generations how to translate the Pasuk Lo Yitama the coin is permitted to attend the funeral or the coin is obligated to attend the funeral so the accepted Allah the accepted position is like Rabbi Akiva that Lo Yitama is a choyba not like Rabbi Shmuel that Lo Yitama is only Rishus but he's obligated to be Mitami so the Gemara takes it the Gemara Brachas and the Ramam and the Sefer Mitzvah takes it that this Pasuk Lo Yitama is the source for the Mitzvah of Kavad Abriyas that every person was created with Selam Alakin. The Bnei Yisrael have more Tzalem Alekim than others. We are considered Bonam Lamachim. So we have an obligation to show, to give respect to all human beings and to give respect to all Jewish people because of the fact that the other person possesses this Tzalem Alekim and this Midah of Bonam Lamachim. It doesn't mean that everybody has the, you have the Chiyav Kavit to everybody to the same degree. There's a Din of Kibbut Aviyeh, which is stronger than the Din of Kavit Abriyas in general. There's a Din of Kvayt Hamidah Chachamim, there's a Din of Kavit Rabbi Muvach, more so than a plain Tamachachim, there's a Din of Kavit Amelech, which is more binding than Stam Kavit Abriyas. There are different degrees of Kavit. So the Gemara has a principle that the husband is Mechayiv to be Mechabit, his wife, and the wife is Mechayiv to be Mechabit, the husband. The husband is mechuyev to me, mechabed the wife. Um, 
he has to be very careful not to, not to hurt the wife's feelings and to consult with the wife on, on different issues. Look, in life, there are different decisions that marriage, there are many decisions that have to be made about raising children, everything. Everything is a decision. So the Gemara says, the Gemara has the expression, one of the Amoraim told his students, if your wife is uh, short and you're very tall, you should lean over, consult your wife and lean over and listen to the advice that she says. doesn't mean you always have to listen to the wife's advice. You have to work it out together. You have to discuss it together. But totally the husband should balabata over his wife or the reverse. The wife should balabata over the husband and one person is going to make all the decisions and ignore the spouse. So this is a clear-cut violation of the din of COVID. You have to show COVID to the other person. I remember I once participated in a, in a Shabbaton um, and they had the... I had a session where they were asking me questions on, on mental health, uh, on, on uh, social workers and so on, psychologists and psychiatrists. So it was the first time I ever, first and the last time I ever participated in such a uh, conference, a Nefesh conference. So they were asking me questions, what do I do in this case? What do you do in this case, the other case? So more than half of the cases I said, I don't know. I would have to think about that. So I wasn't too helpful to them. They needed someone who was going to give them real uh, concrete answers. So they never invited me to speak again. Okay, I don't, I don't blame them. They, these rabbis who were in the field who can answer the questions. So after I finished speaking, there was a woman who was sitting next to my wife. So she came over to me with my wife afterwards. So she says she was married to a big Tamachachim. At least she thought it was a big Tamachachim. I don't know. And she said the reason why the marriage fell apart is because her husband knew all the answers to everything. He never said, I don't know. Whenever any issue came up in the marriage, he said it's either an often a Basik, and often a Mishnah, and often a Gemara, and often a Rambam, and there's nothing to discuss. There was no, the wife wasn't entitled to an opinion on anything. He could have engaged his wife in conversation, and he could have got her, he could have gotten her to come around to agree with his often a Basik and Kumash, and with his often a Rambam, but he never even tried. Whenever any issue came up, there was an open and shut case, everything was a favorite did, and he never consulted his wife. So this is a, clearly a violation of the mitzvah that the husband is mukhif to be mechabir his wife. In the Shulchanach, they quote the cherem hakadmainim, means uh, from the days of the early Rishonim, they made a cherem against the husband who beat up his wife. So you get the mistaken impression as if until they made that cherem hakadmainim, that was everybody did that. Everybody beat up all the husbands, all the good husbands. A mitzvah to beat up your wife. And then they made a new cherem that you're not allowed to. So the commentaries explain that's not what it means. It's prohibited to beat up any person. Jewish or non-Jewish. You're not allowed to harm anybody else. And uh, to harm one's wife, to harm a spouse is a, viola- a double violation. It's a violation of the how is that the Baal Mechuyiv Bechot Ishto and the wife is Mechuyiv Bechot It's clearly a violation. The Cherem HaKadmoinim HaKerem means a curse that the person should drop dead. But not everyone who doesn't have air deserves to die. The Gemara says the word Cherem is a Gemara. That's not a Balaturim. The Gemara says the word Cherem is the same Oseus as Ramach. A curse that's nichnas into the 248 uh, <coughs> bones of the body, the Ramach Evarim. It's a curse that the person should die. So the Kadmonim saw that there was a problem, that, that husbands were, were, uh, were abusing their wives, they were beating up their wives. So they made a curse, they made a cherem. But uh, even before they made the cherem, it was still prohibited. It wasn't a chidish that was introduced in the days of the, in the, days of the Kadmonim. Part of the din of uh, Kovet Abrius requires also Kibbut Aviyem. And surprisingly, covered for the in-laws. Uh, the tour comments on the post, We follow the opinion of Rabbi Akiva that every time the word S appears in Chumash, it is marvelous something. One of the Tanoim backed that from his whole position. 
He thought originally he was going to darshan every time it says this, and then he backed out and said, no more darshaning us. And then Ajibor Rabbi Kilo made, no, we do darshan us. So what should you darshan on this passage? So the Gemara discusses what you darshan, Achicha HaGodol, and so on. So the tour comments that maybe, quote in Shulchan that maybe also included in this is the parents-in-law, that you have to show COVID to the parents-in-law. We treat the um, whole Jewish people is treated as one big family. We look to Avram Avinu, Avram Yitzchak as our forefathers. And all of Flavi Sol is treated like one big family. And uh, the uh, family is an important uh, institution in, uh, in the Jewish religion. And what holds the family together, part of what holds the family together is this principle of Kibbut So if people will be in violation of Kibbut in a certain sense, they're ruining their marriage. So let's say if you have a couple who are married and the wife decides she doesn't want to daven anymore. She decides she doesn't want to bench list anymore. She's she, not going to be some medactic in, in uh, some of the mitzvahs. So that's not really grounds for divorce. If the husband feels uncomfortable that his wife uh, doesn't say brachas anymore, no more benching, no more davening, no more this, no more that. If he wants to divorce her, he has to take suga. That's not grounds for divorce. The Mishnah says what's grounds for divorce and the husband, if the wife is responsible for ruining the marriage, for ruining the marriage, then the husband has a right to divorce and not take suga. That's if the wife, not the wife, is not the frum anymore. If the wife is ruining the marriage, but says ruining the marriage, she doesn't want to go to mikveh. She doesn't want to cook any food. She doesn't want to have any children. She doesn't want to raise the children. So that's something that's ruining the marriage. The Mishnah gives this strange example, Noderes, the woman takes the dorm and she violates the dorm. That's a Zaitige issue. Why is that grounds for divorce? The Gemara asks, what is that all about? The Gemara says, yes, because if parents take the dorm and they violate the dorm, they don't keep up. They don't keep their words, so then this may cause the children to die. So that's part of the marriage deal. The understanding of the marriage is they're going to be married, they're going to have children. So if the wife is not there, it's Vayne Mikayemes. So the Mark explains that that affects uh, the marriage. But if the wife decides she doesn't want to bench anymore, she doesn't want to die, she, she doesn't want to do, uh, she doesn't want to keep Shabbos, but she's keeping kosher, the food is kosher, and she goes to mikveh and she raises the children. So that's, strictly speaking, that's not grounds for divorce. If the husband is not happy about the fact that his wife is not orthodox anymore, she goes to Dabin in the Reform Synagogue or something. So if he's not happy, he has to divorce and take suit. That's not really grounds for divorce. So one of the examples that the Mishnah gives that it is grounds for divorce is Mikhaleleth Yolda Befanov. If the wife is disrespectful to the in-laws. Because this is considered the ruinous to the marriage. The same is true if the husband is disrespectful to his in-laws as well, but it's not necessary to mention that in the Mishnah. The din is whenever the husband divorces his wife, he has to pay suba. The only time he's exempt from paying suba is if he can ascertain that the wife, if we can point the finger at the woman and clearly declare that the wife is responsible for ruining the marriage. But, but the same is true if the husband is disrespectful to his in-laws, he's also ruining the marriage. But even if it's a no-fault divorce, if the husband still has to take suba. So that's why it's not discussed in the Gemara. So this Indian, the, the Habal is Mukhayev to be Mechabed the wife, and the wife is Mukhayev to be Mechabed the husband, and they're both Mukhayev to show cover to their parents, to their in-laws. This is uh, very crucial. Uh, the in-laws have to, the parents have to be careful not to give too much advice to the children. Abba Salavechik used to tell over the story that on one occasion uh, a couple were holding by getting divorced. They had, they had a lot of friction, and they came to him to air out their issues, 
And uh, the Rav saw that uh, the boy's mother was giving too much aces. The, Rav's mother, the uh, husband's mother was, was uh, butting in too much. So he called up the mother and he had to come over and he wanted to speak to her. So he said to her in Yiddish, Mrs. Weiss, Gittnish can aces the kinder. You shouldn't give any aces to the children. So she says, Rabbi Salavet, you better get them aces and give not advice. <laughs> she's not giving any aces, giving advice. That's the problem. A lot of times the, the parents... The parents have to be careful not to give, not aces and not advice, not, not to give anything. The children want to make their own mistakes. You can give recommendations, but uh, we have to be careful not to, not the parents and the in-laws have to be careful not to, um, not to be too forceful on the advice that they give. The Gemara speaks of the, uh, the Gemara Perikazov speaks of the different... Uh, deals that different Amaroi made when they got married there were always going to be differences of opinions in marriage between the husband and the wife different perspectives so, uh, so it's always going to be 50-50 the husband is going to say this but we don't have two wives if you have two wives you have three people so you go uh, two thirds against one wife but we only have a chemda you only have one wife to a customer so uh, what do you do if the husband wants one way and the wife wants another way so the Lord tells that one of the Amaroi made a deal that uh, in any issue of Mili uh, Alma, all worldly issues, the wife has the final say. In all issues of Mili Dishmaya, the husband will have the final say. Um, they write about Rabbi Salanta that he was married for many years, and he said he made this deal with his wife when he first got married, and surprisingly, no Mili Dalma ever came up. Everything, <laughs> everything was always Mili Dishmaya. Okay, sometimes that will be the case. Yeah, it's not always so crystal clear that in all Mili Dishmai the husband is more of a maiden than the wife. Let's say the wife, the husband is about Shuvah and the wife is from a knowledgeable family. The wife is learned. Her father is a rabbi, a rabbinical family. So, so a lot of times it will make more sense that in Mili Dishmaya the wife should, uh, should have the say, final say. And if the husband is, uh, has more common sense than the wife, so a lot of times it makes sense that in Mili Dalma the husband should have the final say. But they have to have some system whereby uh, to come to a conclusion, a peaceful, a peaceful conclusion. Our practice is that when we get married, we use the expression hareat nukudeshesli. So the Gemara points out in the beginning of Kiddushan that this is what we refer to as a lishna de Rabbanan. This is not a biblical expression, hareat nukudeshes. Hareat mu'ureses, hareat ishti. These are biblical expressions. Hareat salosi, negdosi, atzurosi. There are a lot of biblical expressions, but Haryat Mukudeshis is only a Lishna de Rabbonan. So the Akhrainim point out on that Gemara, although it's a Lishna de Rabbonan, the terminology is only rabbinic in origin, but the concept behind it is a concept, Minatora. We assume that marriage has some element of Kedusha to it. The Gemara has certain dinah where they're comparing uh, marriage to Kedusha, not only to Kedusha, to Kedusha Saguf. And this week said, when Pashas Bechukaisa will be learning that different times this Kedusha Domim, if someone is Magdash a table, so the table doesn't have Kedusha, the value of the table has Kedusha. The Gizbar of Hegdish should auction it off to the highest bidder, and the money that he's going to get will be used by the Hegdish. Then sometimes that Kedusha is Aguflam is Beach, you Magdash an animal, and you've got to be Makra of this on the Mizbech itself. So the Gemara in Nidorim has the famous Sugit. Those who study Abdul Miluim will remember every 50 pages, Abdul Miluim solves the problems by quoting the Ran and the Dorim, and Daf Chavtes and Daf Lamed. The Gemara says there that um, you can make a Kenyan Lizman 
I can I can sell you a, a house or a farm that it should belong to you for the next ten years, and after the ten years are up, it goes back to me. Or I can I can sell you a farm for the next ten years, and the next ten years after that, it should belong to someone else, and for the next ten years after that, it should belong to a third person. There's such a thing as king and isman. There's such a thing as hefkel isman. A person is mafkir is for the next twenty five hours. So it's only hefkel for twenty five hours. After the twenty five hours are up, then it goes back to my ownership. But the Gemara says there's no such thing as marriage lizman. Let's say a couple gets married, so uh, they'll be afraid that the marriage may uh, may not be successful, and then they'll need a guest, or they'll need chalitza, whatever the story will be. So why don't you just marry the girl for a year? And after the year is up, so the marriage will uh, disintegrate by itself. So the Gemara says you can't do that. Just like if you're magdisha korban, you're magdisha behema, hareza oil alamad yom, and after the 30 days are up, let it be a korban shlomim. So the Gemara says there is no such thing. Since it got a Kedusha Saguf, Lizman said a Kedusha Saguf like Paka Bechdi. It can't vanish into thin air. So the Gemara assumes that this is true also regarding Kedusha Isha. We, we quote the Pasuk, Erastikli Liyolam, when we put on the Tefillin. We put on Tefillin rep- on the finger representative of putting on a marriage band. The Chosim puts on a marriage band on the Kala. So the Tefillin is supposed to represent the marriage between Knesset Yisrael and Kaddish Baruch We recite the Pesukim, Be'erastakli Le'olam. Eris and Kiddushin is supposed to be for life. We live in a generation that people, many people take it very lightly and they don't try to work on their marriage to see to it that it should have a, a Kiyom. And this is certainly not correct. It's an Indian of Kiddushin. And we should uh, try the utmost to see that it should be of a lasting nature. Look, we have a parsha in the Torah of Gerishim, so sometimes uh, the halacha requires it. The couple is not getting along well, so they do get divorced. But uh, under normal circumstances, we try as much as possible <coughs> to see to it that the, parish, the marriage should, uh, should be of a lasting nature. All of the singles should be blessed with the siyat to the Shemaya, that they should uh, know what to look for. The boys should know they have to look for a balabasta. Somehow the boys are looking for everything else other than that. You need a girl who knows how to diaper a baby, knows how to cook, knows how to keep a, a neat house, unless you love a, unless you enjoy a sloppy house. A boy has to look for a balabas, the girl has to look for a balmidas. It's not going to help the guy's wealthy. If he's not a balmidas, he's not going to treat her nicely. You have to, each has to be decent to each other. Each have to be covered. People who know how to show respect to others. So the single should be blessed with uh, the ability to find the right uh, partner in life, and the married people should be blessed with uh, continued shalom bias. Thank you very much.